Welcome to the Mouthy IP Podcast, where we discuss infection prevention for the busy dental profession. The Mouthy IP Podcast is created by Nebraska ICAP, Infection Control Assessment and Promotion Program, and is funded by the Nebraska DHHS HAI team via a CDC grant. Each podcast features experts discussing current infection prevention topics and answers to questions asked by dental professionals from Nebraska. Welcome everybody to today's edition. We're gonna have an interesting conversation today with our special guest, Jody Skibold, Sarah Stream, and Dr. Richard Hankins. So we got an interesting question. They're always interesting. And they always yield a lot more discussion than what someone might think. Today, we're going to talk about wet packs. This question came in and uh, just, just take a listen. I've heard you talk about wet packs before in another episode. And I know they're bad, but can you tell me why? So now we're, we're want to find out more from our esteemed colleagues here. Uh, we have Sarah, we have Jody, and we have Dr. Hankins. Educate us on wet packs. Awesome. Thank you, Dan. Um, first, I have a question for you as a non-healthcare provider. When I say wet pack, what does that make you think? All right. I'm glad you asked this because I have no idea what wet packs are. So I'm going to need some explanation. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let me answer that question. This is Jody Siebold. I believe I was a guest speaker on a previous podcast where we talked about sterilization disinfection. And then we ended that podcast talking about wet packs and it's like, oh, well, that's a good idea. And so we had some questions come in about wet packs and why they're important to address. But to give you an idea what a wet pack is, so you go through the sterilization process and steam sterilization. And a wet pack means that when it's gone through the whole cycle, so when you open that door and you pull out your peel packs or your wrapped instrument trays, um, one of the things that you're observing too, aside from the printout on the sterilizer itself, is the external indicators that the process has gone through. But you're also looking for other things such as water. So you can have it in the bottom of your pan. It could be on top of your wrapped instrument pan. Um, if you've ever set a coffee cup down on a piece of paper and it kind of gets that wrinkled ring around it, that's your peel packs. And that paper backing can kind of have that wrinkly look on it too. So wet pack, when you first look at it, it could be external, which may be obvious, but then there's also internal when it's left in a package after sterilization. And the caveat to internal wetness or moisture is that you don't know that that's happening until you actually open the instrumentation itself especially like in like a blue wrap or whatever kind of wrap that you're actually using. You're getting your, your still field set up and you open your instruments and all of a sudden you notice like a pool of water, like in a corner, or there's just kind of condensation all around the inside of the pan. So when we talk about wet packs, we're really talking about the definition for um, wet packs. And this is per Amy. So it's the, um, Association for Advancement in Medical Instrumentation. And that's kind of what I call the, the chi of standards. This is what your sterilization should be 
compared to, and these are the processes that it should look at, is it's it really a wet peck is the presence of any moisture, like I said, internal or external, left in or on a package after steam sterilization. So that's the definition of a wet peck. So when we talk about moisture, the issues with moisture, so even if you've gone through the whole sterilization cycle, you've gone through you know, the three minutes or five minutes at 270, whatever the IFU for the instrumentation states that it needs to go through. Um, when it's wet, also when you take it out, think of it as water creates a pathway for microorganisms. So if you take an instruments out of a sterilizer, and you notice that they're wet and you said, well, I don't have time to go through a whole cycle or don't have time to investigate why those instruments are still wet. What happens is even if you put on sterile gloves and you put them on a sterile towel, you have wicking that happens. So either through your touch or if you're kind of like in a galley setting in your clinic setting, and the airflow is, is not negative pressure and you don't have masks on and somebody comes and coughs. And then we talk about COVID-19 and how that is easily spread. Influenza, you name it, anything. It could also be cross-contaminated by air. So Jody, so I have a okay, question okay. as you're yeah. going through all of this. So uh -huh. you mentioned it goes through the sterilization cycle and yes. then you take it out and you notice it's wet. And yes. so I guess I hear you say it goes through the sterilization cycle. And in my mind, I think, well, if it went through the sterilization cycle, it's sterilized. Is Which that is a, true. Because you met that parameter. Okay. No, you met the sterilization parameter. So you met time and temperature and exposure. So part of the whole sterilization cycle is a prep time or conditioning time for your sterilizer. So either it's a pulse um, evacuation of the air and in, in mm -hmm. insertion of steam for you working on, you know, kind of physics in the context of you're creating a dense and it's pushing it down. The steam is pushing the air down and it's evacuating it. There are other different types of sterilizer where it's more of a passive removal of the air. So part of the maintenance of that sterilizer is to make sure that the air removal, however it occurs, is occurring and the steam is coming in correctly. So when you talk about sterilized, it's gone through the conditioning. So it's, it's preparing that chamber. And then when it meets that, those parameters, then your sterilization cycle starts. So we're talking time, temperature, and pressure. I guess I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm where I'm at as I'm wondering uh -huh. as we're talking about this. Are wet packs sterilized? So when at the point of time that you open the door on the sterilizer, even if you have wet packs, those pouches are sterile, right? You open that door. When you take them out and you dump them on the counter or you pick them up, you have the potential to wick bacteria into the pouch. Mm. And that's when they become non-sterile. Gotcha. So okay. you the really other caveat too, yeah. The other caveat too is once you open that door and it sucks in air, right? So you can have potentially have cross-contamination if you have a wet pack. If you have any kind of condensation on any of your fuel pouches or your instrument packs, once you open that door, so I don't want people to think, well, if I crack the door open and if I look to see if stuff is wet and I see if stuff is wet, I could just close the door really quick. 
that doesn't, you know, that's just not good practice in the context. Because once you open that door, you've exposed it to potential air cross contamination if there's condensation visible and if it's not visible on the inside. So when you talk about sterilization cycle, a third most important too is the dry time. So that's a set time based upon what you set your um, sterilization parameters at. So if it's three minutes, four minutes at 270, whatever that's set at, there's also an evacuation and drying time built into that specifically for that load cycle, how that's programmed. So when you open that door, you are expecting everything to be dry and sterile. So I will say really a really common practice in dentistry is, and this is simply because there's a, a really high turnover because of our procedures. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times we don't have enough instruments for the whole day, right? So we have to sterilize on the fly and keep things moving. Um, or we don't have enough sterilizers to use. We may only have one sterilizer for the entire clinic. Um, you know, you run through that sterilization cycle and a lot of times the door will crack open just a little bit during the dry cycle. So everyone sees that the door is cracked open and they think that it's done and they don't let it run through the entire dry cycle. They just open it, take out their instruments and dump them on the counter to dry. So there, I think there are a couple of different ways to address that in dentistry. Um, you can either get more instruments so you don't have to turn them over as quickly or get another sterilizer. So you can run more instruments about that at a time. Too. Yeah, is, is think of it in the patient care context. So you should have a standard of care for every single patient. And every single set of instruments should go underneath the, you know, should go through the same process. So is it fair for you to, okay, let's say at the end of the clinic day to put all your instruments through a proper cleaning, disinfection, sterilization, drying process. So your 8 a.m. clinic, you know, and your patients, and then if you know by 10 o'clock that you've run out of your your instruments that you processed the day before correctly, you have a standard of care, but your 12 o'clock patient doesn't get to have instruments used on them that didn't go through the same vetting process and the same process as your earlier clients. So is that really, when I want to say fair or ethical for us to have a different standard of care for this group of patients versus this group of patients? So inventory is of utmost importance. And if you, you don't have the money for inventory and here you get into staffing, is it, is it a staffing issue in the context of you have a person that's dedicated to turn those instruments over to ensure that every single set goes through the same process. So you have the same standard of care for every single patient. And, you know, in, in, my husband has his own private business and, you know, he hates paying bills. And I'm, I'm always at the fact that sometimes it takes money to make money. So if you look at it in a business context, you have to invest at a minimum some sort of inventory to provide that best level of care. Because I don't, you know, I'm used to acute care. I'm used to outpatient. I've never worked in a dental office. I will admit that. But the principles are still the same when you talk about cleaning, sterilization, 
of instrumentation. So whether it's used in a critical situation that you're accessing sterile tissue or you're talking about semi-critical, then I think, you know, when we think about oral care, most people go to, well, it's semi-critical. So at, at the minimum, it should go through high-level disinfection, which is a totally different ballgame because, you know, we're touching mucous membranes, but you also have to think in the context of dental care, how many times have you accidentally poked tissue in its blood, or you have some sort of bacterial infection or really bad gingivitis, or you know that you're going to be scraping on bone. And, you know, so then you kind of change your spalding classification just a little bit. So how do you discern, well, these instruments are only for, you know, mucous membranes, and this is for actually sterile tissue. I think it would be hard to delineate that when you're actually taking care of somebody and saying, oh, well, I can't do that because that means I would enter, you know, a sterile tissue area. You know, you just treat everything the same and kind of default to you're going to enter that critical okay. environment at any point in time. So, You've you've convinced me. We we have to we have to take it out uh, after the drying cycle. Um, and so previously on on our podcast, we've talked about outbreaks in dental settings, and mm -hmm. I have no idea about the answer to this next question. But I'm interested. Have any outbreaks in dental settings ever been connected to using wet packs? Wet packs are improper cleaning and sterilization. I would kind of default to Sarah since I don't track the, the dental environment. And I'm pretty sure there could be some pretty good anecdotal notes. And <laughs> You know, and that that is a really good question, Dr. Hankins, and I don't know the answer to that. Okay. Um, it's, I know we've talked before about like reporting in the dental community um, and how that's, it's probably not done to the extent that it needs to be. Um, but I have never heard of any major outbreaks happening that were traced back simply to wet packs. Okay. And isn't that the, the real crux of it all traced back? Um, you know, and, right. and I know on the, the one podcast we did discuss, uh, outbreaks and, you know, some of the ones that they were able to trace were pretty horrific. Um, meaning, you know, they were, they were awful uh, with the numbers and the types of, of infection that, that resulted from the, the poor practices, or at least from the, the practices that weren't uh, known at the time. So, you know, I would, I would just question, you know, how many outbreaks could be traced to a dental facility, much less a specific problem within a dental facility. And I'm sure that you know, as we talk about this outbreak thing, there are probably numerous cases of a single patient had a post-op infection after an extraction and they reported it to their dentist and they gave them some antibiotics and they got better, but it was never classified as an outbreak. There was mm -hmm. never any epidemiological research done to see where that infection came from. Um, could it have been from a wet pack? Possibly. Could it have been from airflow in their office? Possibly. Could it have been from something that patient did the day after they got home from their extraction? Well, I mean, you and aren't you referencing really best practices? Because 
unlike um, you know some other things like you're mentioning airflow or other things, if you have a piece of um, uh, a surgical tool or a tool that's being used, uh, taken out of a, a, a cleaning cycle when it wasn't finished and it's used on a patient and something bad happens and that patient gets sick and the like, well, that's one individual patient maybe the equipment then is sterilized after that use and it doesn't affect another patient. So it's mm -hmm. not a widespread type of thing. It's an individual by individual. And the other thing I think of too is, you know, it, there may be things that are transmitted that are not obvious that don't cause any immediate complications. I think of HPV. Don't think of it as your your MRSA or some, you know, bacterial infection or even that, you may be talking about transmitting viruses that you don't even know that it's happening until X number of months, years later, and you're just like, well, where in the world did that come from? How did I get infected with HPV 16, 18? You know, how did that happen? And this is a perfect example. So when we talk about cold sores, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, they all are interconnected, whether you are in a clinic, whether you're in a hospital, when you're in an outpatient ambulatory setting, your fundamentals are still the same. And sterilization disinfection is applicable to all of those areas. Regardless. This is a very definition of standard precautions, right? Yeah. Now, I always yes. think it's good to make the, the clinical correlation as we're talking yeah. about, yeah. Um, using an autoclave and sterilizing and then what what are like the downstream effects if uh if things aren't used properly yes so another thing i wanted to touch on um you know it when we have wet packs when they come straight out of the sterilizer you know you have that initial yes they can wick bacteria right but then i have seen in many facilities where i will get in a drawer for an infection control assessment. And there are pouches in a drawer that are wet, that are, have been put away wet. And who knows how long they have been there. And what do bacteria like to grow in? Those dark, wet places, right? So not only do you have wicking, you could have bacterial growth on those pouches that have been stored away for days and weeks and months, potentially. Yeah, and you terrifying. potentially cross-contaminate <laughs> other packs that may have been okay. So did you compromise other instrument packs by putting other wet packs or peel pouches in with those other processed instrumentations? I feel like so we have some the other, yeah, the other coming, question coming through here. Yeah, so the, Jody, you, you missed this last <laughs> time when we okay. talked about uh, dental anesthetic carpules and, oh, yeah. and how we dispose of them and discussing, oh, so, like there's, uh, is there visible blood or not? If there's visible blood, we might have to do something differently. Uh, but I think you pointed out, you know, we don't necessarily see microbes. Like we don't see contamination. Things could still be contaminated. So just because we can't mm -hmm. visualize it, doesn't mean it's not there. We know it's there. Um, and so yeah, that's- Some of the viruses, in order for you to see it, you have to have it under electron microscopy. Yeah. So, so as, as you're saying this, I'm just thinking, you know, I feel like we're weaving 
infection control ideas in the, like along in the, the next, uh, this next podcast, like similar thing yeah. we talked about last time, similar thing we're hitting this time too. Yeah. And mouths are gross. I mean, they mouths just are. are. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff going on. And one of the other things that I wanted to kind of hit too, is when we talk about wet packs and how that should be identified in your policy and procedure is, are you going to sit, consider, so like if I have four instrument pans in my sterilizer, I take them out and I notice that there's condensation on one of them. Do I consider just that one compromised or am I gonna consider the whole load compromised? Everything that's in there. So the, the three of them that aren't, you know, had, that don't have visible moisture on the outside of them, are you gonna treat those as compromised packs too? So that's something that you have to have a conversation with your facility, your staff, your leadership to say, okay, how are we gonna handle this? So like if I'm the person that's in charge of IP for the clinic and I decide to go to you know, the Bahamas for a week, somebody else is gonna step in I should be able to hand that policy and procedure to whoever's gonna take over it. And it may change in a week process because everybody's staffing is a little bit different. I should be able to handle that, hand over that policy and procedure, just that process on how you're going to handle those types of situations. Jody, how would you handle, how would you handle that situation? I consider the entire load compromised. Okay. Because my brain goes to just because I could see it on the outside, what does it look like on the inside? So if it didn't go through the dry cycle enough to get that condensation, that moisture off of that pack, what's happening on the inside of that? So if it didn't get evacuated, didn't get dried enough. And when we talk about wet packs, you know, you can get into sterilizer maintenance, not, not maintaining it properly, right? not doing your um, air removal test. And it all goes back to the, your IFU. So I want to pump the brakes because you, okay. you hit, you touched on something <laughs> I, I'm, I'm interested in. And okay. so I'm sure as people are realizing all of my questions, I don't, I have, I worked with an autoclave. Yes. Do I work with an autoclave much? Absolutely not. Um, you've probably done way more than I have. And so I'm interested um, as you mentioned, um, making sure it runs through the entire dry cycle um, do you ever see it where it does run through the entire dry cycle and you still have wet packs? Absolutely. Okay. Um, and that could be several things. So it goes back to sterilizer maintenance. So it all depends on your sterilizer. So if you have a tabletop sterilizer and you have to literally take a um, one gallon jug or how much ever water it uses, and the type of water that you put into the sterilizer is also very important. So it could be deionized water, it could be reverse osmosis water, whatever your IFU stands for. So when we talk about the steam that it produces, there could be something mechanically wrong with the autoclave itself. So we need so, to be cognizant, yeah. even yeah. if we allow something to run through the entire Correct. dry cycle. So then you get into human factors and not maintaining your, your sterilizer is also a human factor, but we get into human factors of packing your sterilizer too tight. Your instruments still being wet from the decontamination and cleaning process. So like if I just put, you know, like when you wash your dishes in the sink, I don't hand dry mine. I let mine air dry, right? Before I put them away. 
So if your instruments are still wet when you put them in the autoclave and all that kind of stuff, and you're compromising your peel packs and your wrap, that is a different level. So then we talk about the type of packaging material, if your instruments are still wet, if you're overpacking stuff, um, even if your containers are still wet from you cleaning and disinfecting them. Um, the other time I've experienced wet packs and you've gone through the whole sterilization drying process, you pull them out, they're completely dry and I'm setting them over here to cool off because they're 270, whatever your sterilizer is sent to. Mm -hmm. And I've experienced this where there's an air duct right above it and it's winter time and there's cold air dropping. Mm. And then when you go it to pick it up, you're like, where is that coming from? Or the drying area was inside a set of double doors, but 10 foot away was a set of double doors that the staff came in just to come into work. And it was underneath that door threshold that that cold air was coming up through. So we had to find a different location to let the instruments cool. So there's human factors, there's equipment factors, and then there's what I call environmental factors too. So there's so much that can go into solving your wet pack issue it's it's literally doing a root cause analysis so i had no idea sure there was so so much oh yeah to, to wet packs and, and, and we can get into water quality and steam quality um but when you fundamentally get down to it if it's a wet pack or a wet load it's compromised so what is your facility going to do about it what is your standard process for handling that because when it comes down to patient well, you care, you ask that question, but I feel yeah. like the answer is redo it. Redo it. Yeah. Okay. Well, you can redo when it, you, when but you, you may have an it. issue yeah. with your sterilizer or yeah. you may need to train your employees so they know how to load the sterilizer to prevent wet packs. You know, they're, okay. but yes, at the end of, of the troubleshooting. day, wet packs are bad. We don't want them. <laughs> <laughs> but we need to figure out why they're happening, right? Yes, and why they're, why they're occurring. And documentation is of utmost importance because even though we probably don't have much documentation on outbreaks in dental settings, you don't ever want to be the first one. You Agreed. <laughs> ever want to be the first one that it happens yeah. to. And, you know, I, I don't mean to that to be a scare tactic, but it's kind of like, taking a step back and looking at your process, because really when you think about it, you know, nothing ever happens. Well, if you're not paying attention, if you're not tracing it, if, you know, cause sometimes in outpatient clinics, you may never see that patient again, or they may go to some other facility if there is a problem, or they may go to their primary and they don't know what's happening. You know, sometimes you can trace it down. Like if you're having an implant and you're having, you know, that kind of surgery, that's a little more obvious if you have an infection, but it's those longer term ones that you have no idea. I'm sure everyone listening to this uh, podcast, uh, they want to do no harm as a level set. Those are all great points, Jody. We really appreciate you being on today with yeah. all of your expertise in sterilization. You can tell I get on the soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it's thank, all, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. <laughs> and not a problem. Not a problem at all. Thank you Excellent. for inviting me. Yes. Great conversation. I know I learned a lot. 
Uh, and we just want to thank uh, Jody for coming on, as well as all of our uh, loyal listeners for sticking with us through another interesting podcast. Thank you for spending time with us learning about infection prevention and control in the dental setting. If you have questions you would like the team to chat about, feel free to call our ICAP Infection Control Hotline at 402-552-2881 or visit our website at icap.nebraskamed.com. Look for our next Mouthy IP podcast episode and don't forget to stay chatty about infection control in your office.